Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. Joining me is John Duke, and I'll tell you what, (laughs) Paul Pierce, he's back. And on the day of days, John, 71717. Our man, number 34, 17 plus 17 equals 34, he signs, and we don't know how long he's hanging around for. Is he just going to retire by the time this broadcast or this podcast airs on Tuesday morning, or is he going to be sticking around for a little while? I They don't have to make roster you know, cuts, camp cuts until the very end. Right. would be awesome to see them. And we've talked about this before. This isn't the first time we've raised it. would be so awesome to see Paul Pierce play in the final preseason game or something along those lines before they wind up letting him retire, making their final roster decisions, and moving in uh, to the 2017-2018 season. I'd absolutely love it. I want to see him on the floor again. I know we enjoyed his last moments and Doc's giving him the opportunity to to hit that three-pointer and everybody's sagging off defensively, but it would really be awesome to see him play like more minutes than that in sort of an exposition farewell. Well, yeah, and and that's where I mean, first of all, Going out the way he did last season was amazing, right? I mean, you can't top that. I mean, there's, there's a strong sentiment in my heart to say, let's not, let's not touch that, right? Let's leave him right where he is. He went out on a good note. Let's go with it. Yeah. You just can't recreate that magic. I mean, you can't. I mean, I, I would hate to like run in the way of that, which could happen if they, um, if, if they did something like that. Having said that though, um, being able to bring him into training camp, have him work with the guys, you know, not have him go through all the drills, have him be on there as a, as a, an honorary <laughs> player or what have you. Um, I, I think it's less likely in part because he's not a Brad Stevens guy. Not that Brad would be against it, but it, there's going to be a lot of like moving pieces. We've got, we got max contract guy coming in we got uh in hayward we got all these rookies coming in maybe if he were part of if brad stevens were doc i don't think there's any question in the world it happens mm-hmm. 
but but this there's doc, no tie there. You're right. There's right. really no Brad and, there's respect and there's appreciation for the Boston Celtics brand and history and all the reasons we love Brad for just embracing that and then bringing somebody like Gordon Hayward into the fold to become part of that. But you're correct. Paul Pierce is 100% Doc Rivers guy. And maybe that's why the way it went down last year was perfect. And maybe that's why, even though everybody still crapped all over Doc, and, and I remember it was like Paul well, Pierce's moment, but everybody took the opportunity to, to rail on Doc, didn't they, John? And and I was, you know. Some more than others. Some more, some more than, than others. others. That's a, <laughs> Exactly. But, but. There is there. You have to admit, there's something perfect about that. But I still want to roll the dice. I, I want to see him. I want to see him play his last minutes in a Celtics uniform, not in a Clippers uniform, in the Garden. As perfect as that was, would be even better to give him the opportunity to write his own script in green, not just retire because he signed a contract. They've got his jersey laid right out there, and I love how Wick just. Hey, look. The first time they're asked if they're retiring Paul Pierce's number, yep. we can't wait to put this one in the rafters. This comes on the heels of giving Gordon Hayward number 20. Eat that, Ray Allen. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that number is never going up it. in the rafters with Ray Allen's name on it. I hope that, I really hope that it'll have Gordon Hayward's name on it. Yeah, that'd be nice. That would be nice. I think that there is something to it though. I, I Okay, let's, since you got your numerology thing out of the way, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on right now. All right, perfect. Um, so look, usually when they do this thing, you sign, you have the press conference, Wick's there, Pags is there, you've got Danny's there, you know, everyone sits down, Paul signs it in front of everybody, he holds up the jersey. It just seemed a little weird that he signed this with like virtually nobody in the gym. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It, like, usually they would have made a bigger deal out of this. So it makes you wonder, is there a second part to this that we don't know about? Is there a second part to this signing as a Celtic and then retiring that we don't know about? Which kind of lends credence to what you were saying. Maybe they are going to keep him on the roster for a little while. Maybe he's part of the new training it's staff. It's possible. Maybe he's on the new training staff. No, I think we all have him, you know, Paul Pierce is earmarked for, <laughs> do you like how I stuck that in there? He's, he's a hard worker. He's, yeah. He, he was a hard, hard worker. You got to give him that. The dude worked out like crazy. He was definitely one of the gym rats on the team. I think everybody's got him earmarked for going and doing broadcasting, following in the post-playing footsteps of Doc Rivers before possibly becoming a coach or, you know, taking some sort of a front office position. The Celtics have talked about Paul coming back and having some sort of involvement in the organization, so you can definitely see it happening at some point. But I definitely also think that Paul is probably not going to wind up being with the organization this year. I think it will happen in the future. Look at Walter McCarty, right? He's coaching Summer League. He found a spot. It, it just depends, and I think every organization is smart this way. You don't just pull somebody right out of their playing days into coaching because they won't be able to make the separation. You have to have some distance and realization that you can't play anymore to be effective in any kind of coaching capacity. I mean, he could go do some PR. He could go do other roles in the organization, but he won't make as much money as he will as an analyst. He's already established himself. 
That's the thing. And you nailed it. It's all about the money, man. Follow the money, right? It's, that's what it's all about. And he's going to make bank playing for, playing for, <laughs> playing for ESPN. He's not going to make anything coming here. It's assistant coach, assistant general manager, none of that. Like he, this is, while we all have a fantasy of seeing him come work for the team, do the whole thing, it's not going to happen. I would love it, but the fact is it, it's just not going to work because he's going to make way too much money working for ESPN. He's good at it. He's going to be on their number one you know, studio crew next year. I think he's got a long career on that end of it. So we'll see what happens. But I loved it. Yeah, I, I did too. And, you know, Paul Pierce is our boy. Right. If you really look at our generation, we were on the heels of Larry Bird and and we grew up. But but if you really look at the age comparison, you know, he's a little bit younger than well, he's a little bit younger than me. I think he's probably pretty close to the same age as you, John. I'm not sure yeah. where I think that you year fall older. pretty almost. Yeah. OK. You're older. So when we were young men, you know, going into our professional lives, that's right. when. You know, Paul Pierce had his heyday. And it's probably when we really began to understand the game much better. It's really the heyday of this show. Paul Pierce was the only good player on the team pretty much at that point. Like, they traded. When we got started, Antoine Walker, I mean, we might have been doing the show a little bit before that, but Antoine Walker got moved to the Mavericks. Mm -hmm. The deconstruction began. And we were some of the very few people that had Danny Ainge's back. I mean, he was getting blasted all over the place for trying to reconstruct that roster. And our show was almost like the island in all of that negativity where we said, no, you've got to do something more drastic if you're going to get anywhere with this team. And we were all about the young players playing. And Paul was still young then, and he was leading this organization. He was the guy that we were counting on. And for a brief moment there, it looked like he might be out of town for Chris Paul. And imagine if that had happened. That that would have changed everything. There would be no KG number five. There might have been a Banner 17 somewhere along the way in there, but I don't think it would have been the same. Having an iconic Celtic like Paul Pierce, who started here, survived just about every single other player that was here when he was drafted and along the way being gone – the only staying player during all of that duration and then to get that championship. Mm-hmm. And that was an, obviously an amazing run for us, just covering it at the time and how enjoyable that was. But but Paul Pierce will always be my favorite player for that reason. I know him the best. Paul Pierce was amazing. He went literally fought <laughs> life and death battles as uh, here as a Celtic. Um, and his his legacy you know it's funny there's there was a a, a twitter um well, a tweet i suppose that was sent out the nba put together the top 34 highlights of paul pierce's career and you know when they do it for bird it's like it's great cuz it's bird and he's got all these highlights or whatever but it seems like nothing those 34 highlights never stand up to how good a player paul pierce was you know, he just wasn't that guy. And it's not a disrespect thing at all in my mind. It's just that his his value was so much greater than just a big highlight or a big dunk or, you know, the the big shot, you know. It just feels like it was it was a constant barrage of if they put the ball in his hands at the end of the game, your team is gonna win. 
You know, it didn't always happen. I mean, it just, you know, this just that's crazy to think he it would. He was just so clutch. But he was. He was clutch. And, you know, those 34, those little clips, they don't accurately depict how important he was, not just as winning individual games or as a great player and individual highlights, but just overall what he meant for this franchise from basically from the day that, that he was attacked there in the Buzz Club um, all the way through his last days, really convincing KG to to take the deal and go on to the Brooklyn Nets, which has really set up this second uh, wave of uh, or this next wave, I suppose. Yeah, of an incredibly selfless kind of thing, right there too. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I think I think a lot of people could look at it like that was a selfish decision, right? Let's go get another championship. No. Let's go ring chasing. Nothing. Nothing like what Kevin Durant did, right? No. It was, no, let's do what's no. right for the organization, you know? See how I had to do that? I had Jesus. to do that. I'll never, I'll never we, not take that shot. I guess, you know, there were so many things as we prepared. Checklist. Yeah. Just the pool and checklist. Ray yeah. Allen. Uh, Ray Allen, check. Yeah. Uh, Katie, oh, Doc check. Rivers, people don't like Oop. him. Yep. Check. Katie. Check. <laughs> You're right. Bingo, You're I got bingo. Right. <laughs> anyway, Man. sorry, go ahead. Oh, I had more. I was go I was going off like a rocket right there. Sorry. But I will I will say this, and then maybe we, we'll we'll talk more about Paul Pierce. I have a hunch that this retirement is going to be delayed. This is not a let's create ratings in the off season scenario. This is let's set the table and do it effing right. That's what I think is going on. So we're going to talk about this, I believe, throughout the entire offseason. I think we'll have this conversation about what's in store with Paul. They'll probably leak out some things that they intend to do. Um, we'll start to read you know, the tea leaves. But, you know, everybody starts to go on vacation pretty soon. Uh, right. Maybe like right after July 31st as a date that you might throw out there as a date and time that was sort of important to Celtics fans everywhere. But right around, right around August, that's when everybody squeezes in their vacay. And, well, and um, speaking of that, that's an, that's another important detail in this is that there's one name of somebody who retired a year earlier who who hasn't been um, given his his date in terms of retirement. And I don't know if they'd do two for one. I think they'd stretch it out myself. But they waited to do Paul first, then do KG. It's just it, – They the have to do it that way, and KG would respect that too, mm-hmm. the same way so. that – that Paul respected the organization and knowing that they couldn't do anymore. And when Danny came to him and said, literally, I have no money I can get to yeah. to give you guys what you deserve. So this is right. what I'd like to do. Uh, mm-hmm. With that in mind, you're kind of in this very, you know, KG has that same respect for the organization that he would mm-hmm. recognize that Paul's got to go first. And as big a personality as KG is, he is all about team. But you gotta be in that circle, right? You have yep. to be in yeah. that circle. And Paul, Paul is in that circle. So here's my question. Like, they'll retire his number, but the Timberwolves haven't retired the number yet either, have they? Or did they retire? So. I don't think they did. No, I don't think so. So in that same vein, to your point about timing, would be great if they did a two for one, but you almost think that KG in the same reason, for the same reasoning that Paul should go up before him, his his jersey's probably going to have to go up in Minnesota before it does in Boston too. 
I don't know. I don't know if Boston would wait. I, I, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm, but it's a but good question. Doesn't it's KG a question have a little now. bit of say on that? I don't know. I, I feel like it's always something that the team, a decision from the team, you know, and I, I, you know, maybe I'm making something out of nothing here. I just, it seems like there's something here that hasn't happened. And the fact that they didn't do KG's jersey last year when he was clearly retired, clearly wasn't coming back. I don't know. It seems like that they were waiting for something. And the fact that the Celtics, he didn't, that Paul didn't immediately retire after signing the contract. Seems like there's something else that we're, we're all waiting for. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We will. All right. Well, no better time to take a quick break and do station identification than the end of a, the obvious end of a discussion, but it will continue. We will talk about Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett a lot more, I guarantee you, between now and September and what's in store. Don't forget to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me, your host, Justin, at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media and the Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace and the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full length locker room interviews, the Garden Report with Jared Weiss, and the Celtics Roundtable with Sam Sheehan, who obviously listens to the show because the first time we gave him a YouTube shout out, he was all over it on the Twitter. So thanks, Sam. Appreciate the props. And, uh, and, and, and that's going to do it. We'll, uh, we'll continue on with more topics. We have, where do you want to go, John? We've got new rules. We have the whole trainers. We haven't really talked about the Hayward signing becoming official. We need to wrap up summer league and, um, Jackson being cut and then stretched. Where do you want to go next? You want to go Hayward? We might as well go Hayward. Let's right? go Hayward. Cause this is like go a Hayward handoff, to go home. Right? Sign Hayward, sign Paul Pierce, make the handoff. It's kind of interesting that way. And, I know that Isaiah Thomas showed mad respect for Paul Pierce as well. So there was kind of a handoff there in that whole final moment or yep. with an asterisk so far, because nothing's been proven yet, but that whole asterisk of a final moment with Paul Pierce on the parquet, mm-hmm. there was respect there, but I can't help but feel like there's a little bit of a handoff here. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's the time for uh, a new generation. Right, it's time for um, us to move from title contention of a prior era. I think even up until this point, I think there was a lot of comparisons. It's like, well, what was Paul Pierce doing, you know, versus what It had done, and how we compared to the Big Three era where it was so good. I think now with the arrival of Gordon Hayward, we have our own era now to talk about. We have the the Hayward Horford It era. Um, the HIH, if you will, or the HHI, or the IHH, or the THH, I don't know. Someone else smarter than me is going to figure out something for those three. But that's the era, right? That's where yeah. we're at. <laughs> that's where we're at. It's those three. And the problem is I think we need to ratchet back you know, our expectations of Gordon Hayward and, and the team now. Personally, I think – we all get you and and I are going to get our summer forecast emails probably shortly from Chris 
Forsberg, who surely will not want to do work of his own and only wants to collate what we write. Well, we, we haven't brought him on it. since last preseason, so he might forget about us feeling he like might we not forgot want about him. He He's may like, not be aware yeah. that we haven't had a guest on this show since, I think, <laughs> what? Did we do Gorman and Grandy over the winter and that was it? Maybe we, maybe we fit it. in the Spears? I think that's right. We've been going <laughs> solo for the most part. No, we did do a Ryan Bernadoni interview yes. with Sam Sheehan one as well. Sure. But 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 yep. the interviews have become less, and the you and I rambling on have become more. So hopefully Chris will yeah. include us again. And Chris, hopefully. if you're listening, we do want to be included. We do. We please don't leave us out. Don't hold don't hold it against us. Um, Yes. No, it's great. It's great to be a part of that. But the other thing about that is there's always the question is what's, what do you think the record's going to be? I don't think the record's going to be as big of a jump from where they were last year. Um, as, as, you know, directly related to how much better they are. So for example, like some would say like, Oh, well, they should be seven wins better because they're going to add an all star who can do all these things next to IT. I think it's probably only like three or four wins better. I think they're like 55, 56, maybe 57, mid 50s. I think they're 58. But, I predicted 55 last year. Yeah. And I'm thinking this season might finally be the first one when they've been a decent team where they don't falter out of the gate. And I know there's still questions about lineup and I know everybody wants to go yeah. and struggle. And yeah, the, I think the so. only way that happens is if Isaiah Thomas's hip is actually an issue and he's not coming out of the gate because I, I, I honestly think having another shooter on the floor really helps a lot of the offensive doldrums that led to that. Like they suffered a much decreased uh, effectiveness on the defensive end last year versus the previous year. Like the previous year was like, oh, we got to figure out offense when the offense isn't really clicking. The defense is keeping us in games, but you kind of knew why they were who they were. And Isaiah wasn't even a starter. Then Isaiah becomes the starter. The offense improves, but defensively they take a major significant drop off. Well, now in this league, they talk about it being a make or miss league, right? I think offense is really that much more important at the beginning of the year for not faltering. And having two scorers, I think, gets them through unless Isaiah is not 100% or not healthy and not playing games. If that if that winds up rearing its ugly head as a potential start to the season, yeah, I definitely see them sputtering again. But if, if Isaiah is 100% to start the year, I just don't think they're going to go through that that lull like they do. I don't think it's going to be as difficult for them to figure out how to score the basket, which is really where they faltered when they're like this 500 team through the first 20 games. Well, I think, I think that there's a couple of things. One Hayward's emergence will allow the team to be better, ba- better balanced when the IT is not on the floor. So whether he's not there or is there, um, there's going, there should be for, as close to 45, let's say 40 to 45 minutes a night, you're going to have an all-star on the court who can score in multiple ways, who can pass, who can do a lot of things and facilitate. So there's a couple of different things going on. The problem are it comes in those five to eight minutes when those two aren't sharing the floor, because I'm not confident at this point that a rosier, smart, brown, Tatum, 
Morris Baines lineup is going to get it done. That's where I worry because it's putting a lot of pressure on guys who, as a unit, certainly have never done it before, uh, but also are quite young and and could be victimized a bit. Um, they're going to be playing against more experienced lineups every single night. Celtics pro- probably will have one of the most, if not the youngest, one of the youngest franchise teams based upon age of players in the whole league. Just based on the fact that they're going to have six rookies on the roster. Six of the 15 are going to be rookies. Never mind the, the two, uh, two-way players, uh, that they could sign. So we think you're going to see a really strong reliance on, on some of their veterans early on until those, those youth, um, you know, we're going to need a big jump for Marcus Smart, for example. Marcus Smart is probably the most underrated player that needs to take a leap in this season because he's the guy that has to settle everybody down, get them in their spots and run, run what they need to run. And so he, so much is going to be based on, on what he can do. I find it interesting that, that, uh, Brad was talking during summer league about how Jay Laranega is down in Miami working with, um, with Marcus on his shot. Marcus isn't from Miami. Marcus lives in Dallas. So he's in Miami where Laranega and Laranega's dad, who's the coach at Miami, I just thought that was interesting. It almost seemed like Marcus was going to Jay to get that work in. Uh, so I was, I was pretty, pretty happy to hear that. He's done those things before. Scott Morrison, uh, the uh, former Red Claws coach now is going to be on the bench in the Celtics. Uh, he, he'd done some works, uh, work with, uh, with Marcus last summer. But hopefully this is a sign of just Marcus trying to continue to improve that shot, trying to find ways to get balance, you know, get some, um, ways that he can be a threat out there. Cause that's going to be so important well, to this team. I'll tell you what, up. this is why I see Jalen Brown as the starter unless <laughs> They go Baines. No, let's just follow me. Check. Do we? Yeah, you're right. There we go. That's we four. We crossed that one off. Yep, we had done that one. Get ready. Get ready. Um, okay, so listen. This is this is why because well, I know you and I talked off air before we came on. So there's the whole Baines thing, and maybe he starts in the Aaron Johnson role, and maybe that's really placating slash satisfying Al Horford's need to be at the four and not the five. I really don't think he cares. Not not in this positionless game. That's why I think the way that Brad's positioning it is part of his sell to Al Horford. You know, you got a ball handler, you got a big, you got a wing. That's it. That's how it is. It doesn't matter how many bigs are on the floor. Nobody's a five in my system. You're just a big. So if Al Horford does buy into that, then I think it's easy. Bain slides out. I'm sure there'll be a couple of occasional nights when they need to slide him in because of matchups. But Brown at the two gives him athleticism. It puts Hayward at the three, which I really do not like Hayward at the two. It's not my preference. I know it's all wings, but I just think him having to be an offensive scorer and be effective with Isaiah and cover for Isaiah defensively is a huge problem. I just don't think that's setting Hayward up. It's not that he can't do it, but we want, I want, I think we want to see him extend, expend as much energy on offense to be effective to get what we want out of this sighting as possible. Sliding him over to the two and covering up for Isaiah does not maximize offensive output for Gordon Hayward. Not my preference. Not saying he can't do it, just saying not my preference. Now. Jalen Brown's at the two. We've already seen him do that. And what he's being asked to do offensively is very limited, and he's going to be out there with Horford, Hayward, and Thomas. So he can really just spot up corner three, play the defense, earn his minutes, 
and use that length so that they still have all that flexibility to switch on defense, which is awesome. Now, here's where it gets to your point. You bring in Marcus Smart. If Marcus Smart can at least just be the facilitator that he was last year, right, just be the facilitator, he comes in, Hayward goes to the bench, or Isaiah, it doesn't matter, but it's always Marcus and Hayward or Marcus and Isaiah out on the floor. He can come in. He can cover that defensive assignment. He sets up the offense, and Isaiah works off ball. Or then he goes back. He's the one. He's the ball handler still, but he's getting Hayward into the right spots. Mm-hmm. We're still not asking Marcus Smart to be the second unit scorer. And if the team does a great job and they get build one of those big leads, then they can really reduce minutes. Hayward and Isaiah can sit on the bench, and they can start experimenting with Tatum and Marcus Smart and some of these other younger players because they've built up a lead. The problem that they've had on that second unit is the scoring droughts, and Mm -hmm. the scoring droughts are completely related to the fact that Isaiah Thomas comes off the floor. Now that you have the ability to steady that, Marcus Smart can, instead of trying to force himself to be a scorer, he can still be a facilitator. And that transition may allow them to sustain their kind of early offensive runs and build some of these rookie player confidences up. And then when you rotate, let's say the first substitute, it won't be, but let's say the first substitute, or it might be because the fourth quarter point uh, minutes, there was a really great article, I can't remember who wrote it, about fourth quarter minutes impact. But if you figure Smart comes in for Thomas on the early sub and uh Jalen Brown stays in there, and then Hayward. When Thomas comes back and Hayward goes out, Brown just can slide over to the two while Smart's play. I mean, slide over to the three while Smart plays the the ball handler and Isaiah plays off ball. Like that's a real that rotation to me is a fluid rotation for all those guys. Then you have the Jay Crowder, Marcus Morris, and uh, and Al Horford kind of rotation with maybe a Baines here and there. Uh, maybe a semi usule again if they wind up getting, you know, things going well enough where they can give they can afford some of those guys minutes. But that's what I think the bigs rotation is. It's really it's Morris, Crowder, and Horford, and they're primarily going small and working Baines in on matchups. One thing that they had said, you know, that Brad had said when he was interviewed, kind of post the sign that the signing being made official. Uh, thank God, finally. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, we talked about how Gordon can can facilitate the offense. He can take a lot of that pressure off it uh, when he's on there, when he's on the court, uh, and it's off. Uh, but also how he can guard one through four, which I thought was a really interesting thing. That's that's one thing we're hearing from Brad a lot. How I, this guy can guard one through four. This guy can guard one through four. You know, we've got Jalen's working on guard, on guarding ones and twos. Uh, you know, he said the same really about Jason Tatum. So it's amazing to see all these things kind of lining up about all the how we need to guard one through four. No one's talking about five. And well, and, and except for except for Shimmy. And look Shimmy's at Jalen Brown. <laughs> Jalen Brown's guarding one. Like they put him. Right. On the one in summer league just to see. I mean, I, it, to me, that's so much foreshadowing. Just, just to emphasize your point. And you were about to go to Shemi, which I think this is a natural transition to summer league wrap up before we get to the midpoint in the show. So let's just yeah. take that Shemi and roll right into summer league. Jordan Mickey cut, Jackson cut and all of that. But you're right. Some of the, and I listened to Danny LaRue's interview with Larry H. Russell on Celtics beat and it was interesting. 
uh, he and I'm sorry, the other guest escapes me right now for some reason, but um, they Dude, didn't seem Aldridge. as right Aldridge. Yeah, they didn't seem as high on Tatum as like the Jeff Goodmans and everybody else. And Danny was almost like above and beyond, like I am in the Shemi Ujale camp. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a Draymond comparison there for sure. I mean, he is 240 pounds. He is, and he's got the strength that, that Draymond has. You know, he's got the ability to to muscle with the biggest of the big. You know, I and mean, he was guarding Zubac in that, and 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 he's a prototypical big seven footer. You know, the type of guy you're going to see out there. Uh, one thing that Danny mentioned was the concern that you know not being able to recover for the fact that that now uh, Kelly Olynyk's gone. Well, it's funny because. On the one hand, you're right. In a traditional sense, you don't have another another big guy who can do a lot of different things in the same way that Kelly did. But but I think what we're seeing with this roster, the roster construction, is that we had a team that was balanced probably more traditionally in terms of bigs, the number of bigs on the roster, traditional bigs, traditionally sized bigs, um, some wings, not as many, and a lot of guards. Now – we have a team with few guards, a, a few bigs, and a lot of wings, which is really what the game is. The question is whether or not Brad employs that type of strategy. If he goes small ball a lot, which I think we all agree that he will, and maybe that's what he ends up doing for his starting lineup, he really ends up using a wing as the four. So Crowder, um, you could argue Morris is in that group, maybe even Tatum. You know, if 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 that's where the if the way the roster is constructed now is reflective of the way that the that the team will play and be used, which you'd hope that would be the case. Um, you're going to see guys like Shimmy play the five. You're going to play. You're going to see Crowder, who played the five at times in the playoffs. Um, you know, the idea of Horford being upset because he's not able to, uh, you know, kind of step back from the five position. That the, it's just listen. This is the roster we have. You're our center. End of story. Um, I don't know if that's I don't know where he fits he in on that. Have to but... play like a traditional center because because the way no one that does. They run the off right. <laughs> no one does. Right. But Atlanta or, did, or and they definitely team. tried to force him into that. Right. But that's not the way the game is played anymore. That's not the way he needs to play. And unfortunately, it's almost like. If it is in his head anymore, and I really don't think it is. I think he's so beyond that. I think he's a selfless team player, and I think he really bought into what the Celtics were doing from the start. I'm not saying that that maybe if if there was going to be a five and they were going to play that way just based on personnel in years past, that for political reasons, like you and I have talked about, that Amir Johnson was the starter at, at the five. I think some of it was just continuity. Some of it was who finishes the game. But – one thing, despite the fact that there are six players on this roster that are rookies, they've never had this much wing depth. The amount of right. like, they shifted from guard depth to wing depth this offseason. Mm-hmm. And that yep. allows them to, I guess, come full circle on any kind of strategy commitment to Al Horford about him not playing like a traditional center in any lineup combinations. No, I think that's, I think that's true. I think you do have Aaron Baines available when those things, when you need that backup. I think that we're going to see that, uh, Zizic is going to be more of an option than the naysayers were saying a week ago. Um, who 
I, I think a lot of people were writing him off and saying, well, <laughs> clearly the guy can't play. We saw the more and more he played, the more and more he showed exactly what we thought he Actually, could Actually, adjustments are such a big key. And Truly. Danny made a really good point in that interview with Larry H. Russell as well, that that setting, he didn't expect anything out of Zizic that was really going to be overwhelming because the setting of Summer League doesn't showcase big mm-hmm. men the way that you might in the NBA. This is the thing we don't know that we will find out about Zizic, and it'll have a lot to do with whether or not he plays, is how tough can he be against some of the muscly guys in the league. He seems to have the ability to put the ball on the floor, and he seems pretty mobile, but if he can't also be physical, then he's going to wind up losing the minutes to to small ball guys until he's able to pack on that strength. and, And, you know, really, and he looks strong, but you just never know until you've really got to drop that weight, put your back to the basket, and box somebody out. Because if he's not grabbing boards, they're probably rather going to have somebody who can move off the ball, switch a little bit easier on the smaller guys, the one through four statement, and drop the ball in the bucket from the outside and space the floor. That, right. That's that's where I think they'll go. If, if To be a big, you've at least got to gobble up some rebounds, even though Amir that's Johnson right. didn't do it. Well, well and, and we saw, I mean, even before, not this past season, but the season before, Selinger was getting a lot of minutes because he was able to to be productive and get rebounds in small ball lineups as the as the only five. So if if Selinger can get those minutes, you damn sure Zizic can get those minutes. He's he's showing himself to be a decent passer, uh, a good reading of, of the floor. He's not a guy who's going to play above the rim. That's that's going to be an issue for him. But look. That's something that we're going to see that they're going to conditioning, um, whether it's Tatum or he, those are guys that are, are going to be, um, you know, really working hard this summer, uh, to prepare. But I think the summer league was a wild success for the Celtics. Huge, huge smashing success. Uh, Tatum was amazing. And, you know, the question is going to be whether or not he gets enough minutes, really, to reflect how well he's played and how much promise he that shows. That comes down to shot selection. They are going to right. want, they're going to want to make an impression on Jason right out of the gate to get that shot. They're going to tell him, we love the fact that you can make those. And if you got to Evan Turner us every once in a while in a pinch, we get it. And we're glad you can do it. Mm-hmm. But, Let's start carving out the right spots on the floor for you so that we don't have to worry about you hitting all of these tough shots. There will be moments when you have to be creative. There will be times when we're going to count on you to do that. Your rookie season isn't going to be one of them. And the truth is for you to be effective, you've got to figure out, you know, how to use that step back when how to set the step back up. That's that's yeah. what I mean to say. You know, instead of if the step back doesn't work or the, the first option, you know, to drive before you go to that move, if you've only got those two and then everything else is crazy creative and you're just really long and you can get your shot off against anybody, that's great. But having said that, you need to learn how to set up your most effective shots, the killers. And as he, I think that's where they're going to want him to go. Shot selection, right places on the floor, how to put together an offensive package so that he can get there more often. I, yeah. And I think that that's, it, it's interesting because how many, how many star wings have we seen in this new 
three or layup era who have been kind of mid-range focus. You know, we haven't seen a lot of those guys who have come out of the draft. You know, I suppose, you know, Ingram could be one of those guys, maybe Jabari who had a real rough uh, adjustment um, with the knee. Um, there are Wiggins really wasn't that type of player. There haven't been a lot of guys who fit that model. And so it's a real interesting case study because I'm not sure who the, the, the good comp is. I would, I myself would love to see them try to get, you know, allow him to be himself in the mid range a little bit, because if you can hit those shots at a high percentage, they're not a bad shot. The problem is, is that if that's all you're taking and you saw him at times kind of pump faking his way or, or hesitating his way out of threes or instead of taking it all the way to the rim. So it's, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what type of decisions that the, the Celtics make. They certainly weren't hesitant to give, as you said, Evan Turner those shots. So will they give those shots if they're, if they're headed for a high enough percentage and he's the offense you need in that second unit? Perhaps, you know, Brad is a little bit more willing to go with those things when you're just damn good as Jason Tatum very well shows he had, he could be. Yeah. It would be nice if they could get some of those big leads and, and really let Jason get some work with that second unit and give the other guys some rest because that's really, they don't need the second unit to play a ton of defense. They need the second unit to continue to score points so they don't start making early subs and bringing starters back in because they're afraid they're going to let the game slip away. And they haven't really had good scoring off the bench, and Evan Turner was like the big stopgap. So, hey, this is going to wrap up the first half of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Summer League because we haven't gotten to Jordan Mickey yet. We haven't talked about Jackson getting cut and how he's being stretched. We also need to talk about some of the new rules that came down, including timing around the trade deadline and changes to timeouts in the final minutes of the game. And we haven't talked about the training facility and how Gordon Hayward was not only brought to Fenway Park, but to that training facility and the fact that that training staff has had significant changes in just the last 10 days with Brian Dew and Ed Lassert moving on as the team transitions to the new facility a lot closer to the stadium in Boston versus out in Waltham. So real quick, it's the offseason and teams are finalizing their rosters for next year. Having the right players on the court will be the key to success. That sharp outside shooter or power rebounder can be the difference between winning and losing. Business isn't any different. Your company needs the right people to be the best. You know, guys that don't have to play the five. Guys that just know a big is a big. So where do you go to find top talent? You can't find the best candidates by posting your job on just one site. You need to post on all the top job sites, and now you can with ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a quality qualified candidate in just 27 hours. No more juggling emails or calls into the office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes nationwide. 
And right now, our listeners can start forming their own winning team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Try it today for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. So let's just finish up this conversation about Summer League. Specifically, Jordan Mickey. We say goodbye to him. Last year, we said goodbye to R.J. Hunter a lot later. The decisions weren't really made until training camp. This one gets made soon, and then another one gets made, I'd say rather quickly, considering the guard moving, like we just talked about. That all They were guard-heavy, now they're mm-hmm. wing-heavy, and they make this cut with Demetrius Jackson, and very soon after, even though he's stretched, very soon after, Paul Pierce gets signed so that he can retire as a Celtic. So Jordan Mickey, a guy, I think... The book was really written on him after the second season where we all started to hear things from a lot of different sources where, yes, he's lighting up the D-League. They're just Uh not seeing the alpha dog level confidence in the pros and not sure he's going to make that leap. Lots of talent and just not a shooter, right? Like we saw in D-League that he was shooting the ball and stroking it and scoring like double-double machine and – Etc. But when he would come up to the parent club, just wasn't it wasn't the same. And I don't know if it's because defenders were altering their shot, well, altering his shot, or if it was confidence because now the lights were on, the pressure was on, or what exactly it was. But whatever he did in the D League, and this isn't that uncommon. We're not trying to make this out like it's only Jordan Mickey. There are plenty of players that light it up in the D-League that then don't translate. Of course, you can also look at stories like Tim Frazier out of Penn State, totally undersized guard, lights it up in the D-League, and then winds up getting an opportunity to start, I believe, with the Pelicans last season. Yeah. Am I right on that? Was the Pelicans, correct? Yeah, Pelicans. Yep. Yeah, yep. so yeah. there are stories where that happens. Maybe some of this is the positionless league that it's become. Maybe this is a guy that, were it 10 years ago, winds up coming up to the parent club and, kind of finds his way in that emerging small ball five position. I'm not I'm not really sure. It's hard to write the book on that, but he dominated D-League. Now he's gone, and a lot of signs pointed to confidence when he came up to the parent club. Yeah, I, you know, Mickey, was, Mickey had a great run, particularly his first summer league. I think there was a chance that he may not have gotten signed even that first season. Uh, they were in need of, of rookies, and I think he filled a role, but um, you know, the fact that a guy with his skills couldn't find time in Boston says a lot more about Mickey than it does about Boston, I think. Uh, he had ample opportunities. He had time in the D-League. He came up. He'd have stints. And then it just he wouldn't put it together. And, you know, and keep I, I in think mind, that that's this a is a second-round pick. Him. And it was one of the first times that they had done that four-year deal for second-rounder. They really foster great relationships, I think, with the agents in doing that Mm -hmm. because the players do make a little bit more money. And they even gave him – that you know, I think the, mm-hmm. the maybe the CBA had changed a little bit with the second round picks, and they could get more money, and they weren't slotted in. Like it had kind of changed, and the Celtics were taking advantage of that to some degree, and they gave him, to your point, ample opportunity to be successful. But with those second round picks, you're really just trying to figure out: do we have a home run here? Do we have a guy that just yeah. should never have gone to the second round or not? Because the rate of return on 
you know, I'd say rotation players or, you know, borderline star players or steady starters that are getting picked out of the second round and Isaiah Thomas being one of the great examples of that, you know, Tim Frazier being an undrafted example of that, only more on that outside of the rotation kind of hit. The second round pick is a gamble. I think teams figure out, or at least the Celtics have decided that they can figure out very quickly if that second round pick is a hit or not. And even for the first round pick, some of that falls into place with a guy like RJ Hunter. Yep. You know what? I just don't think we quite hit on that late. Was he in the twenties? Was he 21, 22? Oh, that's right. He was 28. They had two in the twenties that year and he was the second one, right? I think something along those lines. But either way, he's, he's almost a second rounder pick, second round pick, and, uh, they figure out pretty quickly. This, the players just, yeah, they might still be a decent player, but they're, they're not a franchise altering player. This is a, this is a player that for the next five, we're not going to worry about missing out on the next Isaiah Thomas with this guy. We already know that. And on top of the fact that we've already identified that with this particular player, as far as this club's concerned in the next five years, we can, we can get somebody on the, you know, the, the mid-level exception or something along those lines that'll easily replace their value on the roster. Like, they're right. replaceable. So, gamble, 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 and move on quickly, you know? Well, yeah, and it was, it was a non-guaranteed deal. It's, it's an easy place to cut from. I think, you know, Demetrius Jackson was a harder cut than, than Mickey, you know, because he did have some guarantees money in there. And also because I think he had shown more in the last two summer leagues, honestly. Uh, I thought Demetrius Jackson had a good summer league last year. He had a decent year in, uh, up in Portland at the, with the Red Claws and seemed to show a little bit this, I thought, in summer league. Uh, really the only that one who kind of settled, really settled the team down. Without him. I mean, he exactly. really made a huge difference. Yeah. And I even tweeted out, I said, I'm, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Jackson. In the right. summer league, how come nobody's talking about him? Is there something I'm missing? And you tweeted back turnovers, and sure, that's an issue, but he's the only, he was issue. pretty much the only guard on the roster. Like the ball handling responsibilities yeah. were huge on him, so I I had no problems giving him a slide on that. Here's the thing about Jackson, and you and I talked about it at the break before we started back up. What do you think about the possibility that? There's kind of an arrangement with that if he doesn't land somewhere else, that they'll pick him back up when they finish doing what they're doing with Paul Pierce. I don't think so. I think I think because the only room they have for him is a two way, or they're going to cut a player that they've just signed, Nader, or uh, or let's say Shimmy. They're not going to cut guaranteed money, you know, to sign him. So you're looking at one of the two way slots. So Jabari, uh, Bird, and then. Uh, you've got, you got, yeah, Kadeem Allen. I mean, those are. Bird seems like a, an obvious two-way player. I, I think, think he, he played well, but, but it's a toss-up for me between Kadeem well, Allen and Jackson, and, and that toss-up in my court falls to Jackson. What we don't know right now is whether or not the two-way deals are appetizing enough for a player who, uh, may not uh, may not be able to, you know, who may be able to get a deal somewhere else, like overseas. So let's say, you know, I could get a deal in the, uh, you know, in the Spanish league. You know, they're clearly going to get more than 75000 a year. You know what I mean? So 
you've got to you've got to wonder how appetizing that is. You've got to really be on the fringe. Uh, having said that, though, you do make more than seventy-five if you're called up. So let's say Bird, you know, gets seventy-five at the minimum, but there's injuries. You call Bird up to uh, to to fill out the the Celtics roster. Well, now he's getting NBA minimum money for that, which certainly quickly makes that more than seventy-five grand. So there is a there is a maybe it is a better long run pick. Um, I just don't think for Jackson, I've got to believe there's got to be a spot for him somewhere, you know, on a, on you know, a 50 man roster. I would this say this two way contract is another opportunity for the Celtics to build strong relationships with agents. And what I mean by that is, like you said earlier, there are six rookies out of 15 players on this roster today. So easy to make a spot for a couple of these two way guys to come up. And make more money than their actual contract and send a guy down who's not getting run. Let's say it's Shemi Ujale. Send him down, bring Bird up. Just think about that. In terms of the money, it's such a small drop in the bucket for the Celtics if it gain, if it gains them favor with agents. And don't think that Brad Stevens was the only relationship that mattered in Gordon Hayward's decision because Gordon's agent has had a long-standing relationship with Danny Ainge and that's how those relationships are fostered so with that in mind this two-way thing if a team is willing to spend money and really we're only talking about drops in the bucket more money and that just puts a little cachet for somebody who's a higher profile to your point if any one of those three guys is going to make more money overseas, they're probably out of here, right? Especially if they don't think they can get called up. But if if Danny Ainge and the Celtics basically say to somebody, listen, we really want Jackson here. His spot on our team is totally insurance. We'll give him a two-way deal. But off the record, you know, I can't make the commitment. It really kind of <laughs> depends, blah, blah, blah. The truth is, is we'll get it. We we can pretty much guarantee you that we'll call him up for enough games that we will outpace that overseas contract for Jackson this year. And as long as they come through on that, that's a ton of goodwill because you know these players. The only reason they're going overseas is for more money. It's not the competition. Mm-hmm. It's not oh, I get to see the world. They'd much rather be stateside. They'd much rather be near their families. And if the money were equal, they'd play in the D-League. They really would. This is a great opportunity to keep some of that talent stateside. And to that point, let's remember we've got our starting point guard has got a hip condition that hasn't yet been cleared. So very quickly you could go from cut to backup point guard. (laughs) Because, you know, Mark – Marcus moves up, and then who's gonna who's gonna play that? Rozier's that an off the ball guy. He's not a ball could, handler. They I need mean, a guy who can handle the ball, and you could play Rozier. And in that, you know, you see Jalen has been handling the ball, and we know he could run the offense through Horford and Hayward, and mm-hmm. they could make do. But you would think they would still want some insurance if they really needed, you know, the a player to push the tempo and set up the offense in a more traditional way. They're going to want somebody out there. Otherwise, they can't show other teams that look. Then they that that decreases their ability to throw something else at the opponent, especially the opponent's second unit. It's not like he's going to be out there with the starters going up against the starters to just, hey, look, if something's not working against the other team's second unit, you want to be able to give them 
what what will work. And without Jackson, you may not have that. That's true. That's true. I I think so. Just to move on from from Jackson and 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 Hunt and uh, what whatever his face name is. Uh, <laughs> Did we going to do Brandon Look, Hunter on that? I think you were thinking Brandon know. Hunter, right? Maybe I don't know. RJ it, Hunter or Brandon Hunter? Gone. You mushed them together. Bye bye. Yeah. Happy trails, you know. Um, I think Shimmy has a chance to be a rotation player. I think that's legit. I, I don't. You know, in the same way I thought Jordan Mickey was going to be a rotation player, I think Shimmy could absolutely be a rotation player. I think there's nights when he's going to get more minutes than Jason Tatum. Um, older player, just, high release, player. clean, yep. quick release. And, and he only and has defense. to do three and D. That's it. If he can guard multiple yep. positions and he has the cojones to knock down an open three, he'll find his way in some spot minutes for sure. He can defend, you know, let's say two through five. And I, I just, I can see that guy being somebody who's easy to throw in there and, and get something, you know. He's got a, a little Gershon Yabuselli kind of thing well, to him, except a little bit wider diversity in terms of positions, right? I don't think Gershon's going to guard twos, right? But No, no. But no, he's but also think, a little bit better, I think, at maybe attacking the basket. Whereas it's so. pretty obvious that Ujule is, if his, if his three ball doesn't drop, he's going to lose those rotation minutes fast. Yeah, I think, I think Gershon is a little bit more of a, of a complete product, you know, the offensively. Um, better passer, but yeah, I think, I think those things will play themselves out. But that, that's just the crazy thing about this. Honestly, this could be the most fascinating, abbreviated, though, um, preseason because it's a smaller preseason. The season starts two weeks earlier. It's a shorter preseason. So the, the opportunity for Brad to kind of figure out his rotation early on is going to be really hard. Um, and he's got a lot of rookies to do that with. So it's going to be really hard to see. It would be interesting to see how he puts this together More with so many guys. Time, he will be able now. I don't he think the starters passed. are going to be True. doing a whole ton more practice necessarily, but these young guys could get a ton of extra reps in versus a normal season for that same reason, and that might actually be a lot more beneficial. Sometimes I think people would think, "Oh, yeah, the training camp they need that." Well, not if they're not really playing minutes after training camp closes, right? It's mm-hmm. it's more That's getting true. them to watch film, getting them to learn how to watch film. And then apply that, and the minutes that they play after they watch film and practice is still pretty limited. You're just adding one little thing. Don't forget to do this, or you're getting killed this way. I think having some practice time for that to become like the whole muscle memory concept and everything else, those changes could really help out the dearth of young players on this roster as well, just because... The starters may do like an abbreviated practice when they do it, but it just Mm -hmm. helps the young players kind of see it, role model it, what it takes. But then they kind of cut the starters short, and then those six rooks are out there, you know, grinding on a much heavier practice because you know Mm -hmm. their rotation minutes are going to be reduced. That's true. No, that's true. Hey, listen, I want to jump to the 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 issue with the training staff. Yep, let's do Um, it. I know we've talked a little bit about this, but. Because this is this is a pivotal summer for those kids. Um, you know, the Yabusellis, who's it's his first summer over here. Zizic, it's his first summer over here. Tatum, 
um, you know, Ojale, uh, Kadeem Allen, Jabari Bird. They've got six guys there who have never played in the NBA, have never had a summer to prepare for 82 games schedule, who've had to prepare to potentially be rotation pieces in a, in a, in a team that's going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, or could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And in the middle of that, the Celtics, uh, make the decision that they are going to change their entire strategy in terms of training and, and conditioning and decide they're going to go out and go take a much more of a um, sports science of, of a focus on much more intensive on the sports science aspect of things. And in doing so cause um, – their longtime 14-year uh, strength and conditioning coach Brian Dude walk away, and then say say goodbye to their over 30-year trainer Ed Lassert. Um, this is a big deal, you know. This is a really, really, really big deal, and the fact that I'm not saying that they're going to be bad or good as a result of this. I, I think this we still don't know. We know what, what we're losing. We don't know yet what we're getting, um, but it's. It's it's a big deal. I mean, for almost as long as I've been a Celtics fan, Ed Lassert has been the trainer of this team. He's outlasted well, Jimmy Rogers, Chris Ford, ML Carr, Rick Pitino, Jim O'Brien, John Connor, I guess you could call, uh, Doc Rivers, uh, and and now here we have Brad Stevens, eight coaches who've been here, and and Ed Lassert's been here through all of them, and he's he's going bye bye, and that's a that's a big change and though do was apparently um he was willing to walk away i'm not it seemed like the cert was the one who was probably pushed yeah it does seem that way it seems like brian did kind of walk away sean grandy tweeted out you know basically we lost a friend like mm. there was a lot of love in that locker room for Brian Dew. Now, despite the fact that Ed is well-respected, I thought John Corrales put it best on the blog the day that this was all announced, that even the common casual fan seems to know mm-hmm. who Ed Lassert is, and that's that's true. Um, but Brian Dew seemed to be the more beloved the way that the news came out. It, just the way everybody around the organization handled it. It was question marks around a 30-year training vet, and Ed had, I mean, one of the, like, again, very renowned trainer, one of the most respected trainers in the industry. Mm-hmm. It obviously points to some sort of a business relationship in the arrangements in opening the new training facility, mm-hmm. and some of it may be just, as you point out, a move towards more modern sort of training fundamentals and theories. So that's where the Ed Lassert one makes sense. The Brian Do one is curious, and you wonder if maybe the Ed decision had actually already been made. And Brian decided there's a changing of the guard and I'm not, I don't want and I are <laughs> right. And I already know I'm not the alpha dog, even though everybody loves me mm-hmm. or, or it's the right time because I've already got all these other business business. You know, my business is rolling now. People know me, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can thrive on my own. It's time to spread my wings. My loyalty is now broken, not to the organization, but to the training staff as a team. I'm going to have less control. And here I have my own business anyway. Why don't I just go build that and have control and see what I'm made of? These guys mm-hmm. don't get there if they're not competitors. Seems like a good time for him to just go ahead and compete in the business world and see what he can do. Um, 
The other interesting thing, though, in all of this move, and former co-host of ours, JB, would be jumping up and down right now saying, wait a second, what about Doc McKean? Right? Because he used to think that the doctor, <laughs> not the brain doctor, but the actual team doctor, not the Nagel, the actual team doctor had a lot to do with injuries, being mismanaged, like missing bone spurs. Uh, I believe Al that was Jefferson. Al Jefferson's ankle mm-hmm. and having a lot of concerns about the medical staff. Bone uh, on bone. Bone on bone. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Gary Tangway and Wally Zerviak, uh, for putting us on the map. That hit USA Today. Remember that? Bone on yes, bone. It did. Celtic yes, Stuff it did. Live gets to USA Today. <laughs> on a throwaway comment from Tommy Heinsohn, no less, that Gary just regurgitated, but that's a whole other awesome story that Probably yep. only our long-term listeners like Lance G will remember, but um, but but Doc McKean, this is this is the one I'm actually keeping my eye on. Is he going to stick around with this organization, or is he sort of more of a subtle in the background? Because the training facility really has very—I don't want to say nothing to do with the medical staff. It has something to do with the medical staff, but it, the medical staff relationship has a lot more to do with sponsorships. From, you know, people, you know, um, I can't remember where he's from because I don't get the CSN any broadcasts anymore. But the hospital that sponsors the Celtics that you see all the time during the television broadcasts, I'm pretty sure Doc McKean is from there. So New you got to. Yeah, there we go. Look it yeah. up. See if Dr. McKean is at New England Baptist. Cause I yeah, don't, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so. he's, that's where he is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. So there's some relationship there. Maybe he doesn't move, but it will be interesting to see if this becomes an overall medical and training revamping or if it really does just stay solely with the training staff. Because, you know, as far as the team doctor goes, I think that would be very quiet. If there was a change in that aspect, it would be very, very quiet. So so New England Baptist has been the official hospital of the Boston Celtics for 30 years. Oh, that sounds a lot like Endless Search tenure. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> Pretty interesting, huh? You know, let's let's just put that aside and you know let's just do let's it just what we will. Make, let's just document that that we put a timestamp for our listeners that you know we, that we talked about this, we thought about yep. this, we did, and, and we'll I, see what happens. And, and you look at the, the Patriots, um, they've, they've done a deal with Beth Israel Deaconess and, and the, you know, the Red Sox. They, as you said, it's a sponsorship opportunity. And with this new training facility, um, Southerners are looking for play, ways to monetize. They're looking at ways to make some cash. And if we're going to be in an opportunity where we need to pay the luxury tax, for three max players or three near max players, depending on what happens with Isaiah next season. Uh, you, you put a GE on the front of the jersey is <laughs> what you do. And exactly, you know, they, they did not hold out like the rest of the NBA or like they did with the cheerleaders. They're kind of coming in with everybody on this one. Uh, yeah. But to your point, if you're going to pay for these players and you're going to shell out the money on a hopefully shell out the money on a Marcus Smart extension before the season's underway and you're going to keep Isaiah Thomas on this roster at the end of next year, that is going to require some serious extra capital to keep this competitive product out on the floor. They're going to get hit hard 
with luxury tax. And so you're right. They got to find a way to fund it. And it was interesting watching Paul Pierce sign that contract with a jersey with the GE logo right on the front for the first time we've seen it. There you go. First time we've seen it. So I think that's going to upset some people more than it upsets me. I understand it's a business. You know, but, uh, but I know the purists, and I'll probably get hammered on this. We'll watch the YouTube comments tomorrow. Well, what do you know? What do you know? They'll, they'll slam me. I'm sure of it, but just you. It's just, just you though. Right. Right. Cause everybody else is going to back <laughs> off that. They're going to be like, no, this is the worst thing to ever happen to a yeah. Celtics jersey. Yeah. And listen, I get it. It just doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people. There are some things that bother me, and, you know, uh, flopping is something that bothers me. Um, fouls or the way that the end of a game gets so drug out, like we talked with Mike Gorman about, those things bother me. A GE logo on the front of a of a, a T-shirt, if that's what helps us, you know, keep the best possible product on the floor for the Boston Celtics, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, look at look at soccer jerseys. I mean, they, what they sell with the soccer jersey is not the little crest up in the corner. The, the GE logo is as big as the logo of soccer teams are. And the big logo, which is where Celtics is on our jersey, is, you know, it's uh, Qatar, Air, you know, Qatar Airlines and, you know, uh, Bet.us or whoever. I mean, it, it's – it's that's, totally inverted it's, because it's that's inverse. what it takes to make yes. money based on the popularity of that sport versus basketball. And purists will say, well, you know, we, basketball is good enough, right? <laughs> America. America. All right. Let's well, talk about the rule changes yeah. then. We've talked about yeah. that. This is the last topic we really need to hit before we close the show. The rule changes, and I did just allude to it when I talked about how drug out the end of games can be, but two big pieces with the new rules. One is the trade deadline comes before the all-star break, which I actually really like because I think the players need to have more time on the rosters if you're going to make a deal and really make a postseason run. Delaying that, I think, if even if you look at trying to trade for a guy like Paul George last season at the trade deadline, if that was a little bit earlier, you can almost see yourself giving up a little bit more assets to rent them because you know you've got more time to get them into your system. Think about how many times Danny Ainge has tried to make that earlier trade, even that Rajon Rondo trade, way before the deadline. I think if something comes his way that makes sense, he'd prefer to do it sooner than later, and I think most teams would. And it's not so early in the season that teams don't know where they're headed. Everybody's got a pretty good idea of where they're at, what their goals are, what they're capable of. And everybody who says in the offseason, we're not quite ready to commit to tanking because we need to put some uh, uh, fans in the seats to start out the season to hit our numbers. Now a team that they may be trading, their all-star too, is going to get a little bit more value out of that. And when they go to the trade, and then when they go to the all-star game, they're representing the team that they're going to finish the season with, which is great. And then we have seven timeouts, all 75 seconds equal. We'll talk about that one second. Your thoughts on the trade deadline, John? I think, I think the trade deadline thing is great. Um, 
uh, I, I, you know, I do like it around the all-star break. I think it makes a lot of sense. It fills the airspace around the fact that there's no games. There's nothing else. There's a lot of hanging out and, you know, going to Cabo or Mexico in the case of Rajon Rondo a couple of years back. Um, or maybe not. I, I think that that's just a better thing to do. Um, so moving it back, if it helps to create more movement in the, on the trade market, I'm for it. I don't like the idea of them doing it because they were concerned that the trade talks distracted from the All-Star game. I think it makes the All-Star game even more exciting, to be honest with you. I think it makes it a better game. I think it makes more eyeballs go to it, not less. So the idea that they're somehow protecting the sanctity of the All-Star game is pretty ridiculous after the game we saw last year. Uh, so put that aside, though, for a second. I think the idea just, of an earlier I, break just is Just a good. quick side note. I am just I – don't, I'm don't, a big fan of All-Star weekend in any sport. I'm just, I, I'm just not into it. It bores the absolute crap out of me. The, the dunk contest was entertaining, and I think we did have a blip on the radar with Zach Levine. But for mm-hmm. the most part, it's a yawner for me. But anyway, little asterisks there. Uh, pretty soon that'll be a checkboxer, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the next thing I think I would, pro- but going on to the all the the uh, the timeouts. I think the timeouts. I like it. I like half of it. I like the, getting rid of the early in quarter timeouts. I think it's ridiculous that there's an under nine minute timeout. I mean, what the hell is the point of that? That's ridiculous. I mean, come on. You're nine minutes. You're three minutes into the game. We need a break. No, no. That's just that's after just being at uh, you know in between the quarter breaks. So to me, the early parts of the quarter you need a flow to it. The latter part of the quarter. Or the half, or in, 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 I guess the game. That's a point where you should be doing everything you possibly can to win the game. And so, losing one timeout out of that situation, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was I two. Thought, I thought it went from well, nine yeah, to two. seven because if you, yeah, I, I understand there were twenty quarter. second timeouts. Per half, but the, I'm talking about. Oh, per half. Yep, yep. Per half, you're so. You know. You saw Brad take a situation where he he was able to drop game winning, uh, you know, uh, you know, out of timeout ATO situations and score on three straight possessions to beat Cleveland, right? Or was it Washington? I can't remember which game it was that he did. The, I think it was the Cleveland game. The I one it was they, Washington the, actually. Oh, was it Washington? Was it yeah. game? Was it game seven? I, no, no, it was, it was earlier in the no, series. It was five. I mean, it was game five. Yes, it was game five. Thank you. So. To me, that's like, you know, I, I like anything that helps Brad Stevens to uh, to get an advantage over the teams he's playing against. The other thing, though, about that, Celtics actually have a, a talented team now. The Celtics overall talent is better situated. So you know, you'd had to use more of the coaching prowess to be able to put yourself over the top. Now I'm a little bit more confident in the Celtics' ability to simply just play the game and be better. Than having to use the, the genius that they have on the sidelines to overcome that on, I guess, two possessions per game. Um, I think their I think their margin of error is 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 much bigger now. So I like it overall. I like it, but I'm but and the fact that Brad Stevens likes it um, makes me think okay, this is a good thing. But 
I will, Brad I will miss that extra say time anything out. else. He wasn't going to say anything That's, else except that he likes it. The part that Adam Silver said that I completely agree with was that they were trying to improve the pace and flow of the game, speed it up a little bit. If you look at other sports, they just yeah. don't drag it out the way that the NBA drags out the end, and it's still going to happen because it, if you really look at all these reviews that are happening, they're – They've already taken the place of these timeouts. We could take out another two timeouts, and we're basically handing these teams extra timeouts because we have to review every freaking foot position and play. And I get it. We have to do it. But it's almost negated the need to call a timeout at the end of the game. You need three a half for your final two minutes, and that's pretty much it. They'll review everything else for you. And you're, I know I'm being a little over the top, but you get my point. A little bit. You get my point, though. It's so drug out. Most teams get a timeout every time a play happens in the final two minutes because it's so crucial every time. It's instant replay. And so the timeouts, you get plenty of time to draw up that strategy and or prepare for what happens after review when you get the ball back. Instead of just, we go to review. We wait five minutes, they shoot the free throws, then they call timeout, we wait another 90 seconds, now it'll be 75, wait another 90 seconds, then they do their play, right, and then there's another timeout, like, it's insane, and every time there's even a close call, there's another five minutes of review, oh, we're gonna go to Secaucus and take a look at the video, and then Mike Gorman goes, and this was the thing in his interview with us earlier in the season, I thought he made a fantastic point, he said, look, he goes, my whole strategy is, you know, it's different than radio. It's TV. I don't need to be the show. I don't have to talk the entire time. My job is to just fill in around what people can see with their own eyes. Now he's got five minutes of dead air that he's got to fill with whatever, statistics, conversation. And he does a fantastic job. It's the reason he's an award winner. But that's just too much damn time. Even me at home, I've I've caught myself snoozing during those five-minute reviews because I'm an old man now, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm waiting for the game to end. And, you know, and I just – I it loses so much of its gusto. So I'm glad about this. The part that really closed me was that the 20-second timeout was lasting 60 seconds anyway. I guess I inherently knew that, but I never really thought about it. So when they said they took the 90-second ones down to 75 and then took the 60-second ones, which, I mean, really, what's the difference? Combine them and drop two? Yeah. It's a step in the right direction. Let's see how it goes. I'd be I'd be for, for taking one more timeout away, actually. Or keep the seven, but shorten, shorten them down to 60 seconds, and let's do something about these reviews. Let's just get quicker about it. Well, yeah, I that's I think I would prefer that they get a better system on the review section. I mean, the idea of what things they can call in-house and what things they call can't call in-house, you know, the issue of, well, flagrants or are in-house issues, but I just, to me, they need to straighten that out. That's a bigger issue to me. The flagrants um, should come after the game. The the in call is yeah, but they impact that's your they second impact the game, though. They do, but my point they, is, it's it's a yeah, but the nitpicking of it that should be a judgment call. You're the ref. You're feeling the flow of the game. You know if somebody it it it's, has a lot more to do with intent than semantics. So if you after review a flagrant one should have been a flagrant two, you find them. 
right? If they didn't see it in the game or vice versa, if it's a flagrant two, they can downgrade it afterwards because technically speaking, it was a flagrant one, but the officials know what's going on in that game and intent has more meaning than slow-mo pushing you down. Like that's, everything looks bad in slow-mo. Well, the, the, the big thing that changed there is they talked about you're making the downward motion. You know, if you're not playing the ball and you're playing the body or you're trying to hit the head or, you know, they made that call or that, I guess, read of the rules a few years ago. And ever since then, they're looking for contact to the head. It's in head and neck. Um, I think that the, they got to look at the flagrant foul rules to begin with, but the reason why the flagrant foul rules are what they are is because you want to penalize the team that's caused the flagrant foul in the middle of the game. You know, if you want to say, well, we're going to suspend my the point player. is you don't send that off site. You let the guys in the game who are feeling the game make the call Fine. and yeah. have them make it quick and get on with it. Right. And then if there's a league adjustment, you do that one after the game. But you want to make sure it's right because you don't want to impact a game with a with the wrong call. You don't want to kick out LeBron James when yeah, he shouldn't do. have been called up. Well, <laughs> you don't want to kick out Isaiah Thomas for for tripping somebody if he didn't do it or or intentionally. They or still get these calls wrong. It doesn't matter well, I, if it takes five minutes; they still get them wrong. It's the humanistic side of the game. It's it gives it character, it gives it flavor, and that's why I say you've you know you've got to train your refs. But you've also got to empower them. This is has this just reeks of corporate micromanagement to me. It it might. I would rather them do everything they possibly can to get the right call and get the right result than so I can get to my <laughs> so I can get back to what do you uh, think about a time comments on Twitter? I don't I don't I don't need I don't need to be able to go to bed five minutes earlier so that. Uh, you know, but how the about, how about this? Game. How about this? There's a time limit on it. Even if they want to go off site, they got two minutes to review it. And if it's not clear, yeah, it the goes the lesser yeah. of the two calls. And then it just moves faster, right? So if they, if they're well, not certain it's a flagrant two, they leave it a flagrant one, right? Or if they're not certain it's a flagrant one, then it's just a common foul. Done. Well, they did the inconclusive, conclusive thing in football, and I think that's that helped to speed the game up quite a bit. Um, I think that would be one one thing to look at and just say, look, like we're going to make the call. It's a one. If it's not conclusive within two minutes, then we got to move on, and, and we're going with the original call. I, so I think you're right. I think that's the that's one way to get there for sure. I'm down with that. I, I'm also down with the fact that we just had a really long show after yeah. two. Kind of late. Well, we had a late show the first week of. I did two weeks of vacation for the first time, and I don't even know how long. Spent a week in Maine on a lake. Spent the last week in the Outer Banks with the family. Work did creep in a little bit. We did a late show the first week, and then I think we were on time or day late. Not a dollar short, but a day late last week. Yep. yep. But we did have abbreviated forty-minute shows. We made up for it. This show's about an hour and twenty, right around there. So a couple of bonus times. It all averages out. I'm glad we waited, though, because there were nuggets of information and updates. 
But this really is what I would consider to be the complete package show of all yes. the mainstay stuff, other than the immediate announcements and, oh, my God, Gordon Hayward. And we still got to kick it off with a major signing, Paul Pierce, which will be Paul one Pierce. of the first podcasts out there in the morning that will have that news coming right out of the gate. So, you know, I think our timing has been uh, impeccable, if not delayed. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Impeccable, if not delayed. We're, we're plausibly live and, uh, ready to, to come at you. Plausibly live. That's, that right there. That's, that's it. Celtic stuff plausibly live. <laughs> I stole that one from Tony, Tony Kornheiser, but I think that's us now. We are Celtic stuff plausibly live and we love it. And we're glad you're all listening with us. Tell your friends. Tell them to listen to the show. Find us on YouTube. Find us on the CLNS radio app. CLNS media app. That's, you know, old habits, man. Old habits. So uh, I'm going to let the yeah. listeners in on a little secret that we've been Ooh. recording video for the first time during the show. Oh God, so it is a precursor. You heard, you heard us talk about it on the last show. So we're, tr- we're getting comfortable with it. We're going to practice some production. And then I would think by <laughs> August, it was just, we're going to do one of those meme faces just pasted over my cool. the whole time. It'd be like yeah. a, a bobblehead Jordan crying meme or something that just sways back and forth. But yeah, that'll be cool. That plastic surgery. That's the other thing we're going to do. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> a little nip, a little tuck, a little, you know, <laughs> looking like Joan Rivers by, by training camp. Anyway, anyway, those of you listening on YouTube, we are going to be bringing video. Everybody else who is listening on the CLNS Media app or uh, or Stitcher or iTunes, that you'll be able to uh, go on to, to YouTube or uh, I guess Stitcher and iTunes will do the video too. I'm, I'm actually not sure. I, I listen to everything through the CLNS Media mobile app right now. But you will be seeing video from us in just a few short weeks. Bear with us while we... While we uh, continue to work on that, but you'll see our ugly mugs every week coming up pretty soon. But that's going to do it for this week. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in this week. And remember that you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And a quick reminder that this one was brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners. But most importantly, you'd be supporting our show and the entire network. For staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.